Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Gabby Lechin, who is Senior Vice President at Global Result Communications. We will discuss public relations trends and predictions. Gabby's communications career spans 15 years in tech, government, and global affairs, cybersecurity, intelligence, data collection and analysis, international relations, healthcare, sports, and automotive. A U.S. Navy Reserve Intelligence Officer, fluent in Spanish and English, Gabby has traveled and liaised with individuals and organizations in more than 53 nations across the globe. Gabby, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much much for having me. Let's talk about what we're seeing in public relations. Give us, paint us a picture, if you would. What what would you say are the main tools and trends in public relations today? Um, well, it's public relations. It's really communications. Okay, is how we communicate. It's uh, is us sending messages out to the world that we hope uh, people actually want to read about. Um, so it's only normal that. PR, public relations, it's going to evolve as we change how we communicate. That's the best way I can explain. Um, communications in general, it's never going to change because at the end of the day, humans were always going to communicate uh, um, one way or another. Either if it's painting, you know, hieroglyphics and the walls uh, during the caveman or if it's sending a text message like we do today. Um, so I think it boils down to not how not us communicating or the messages, for, but what tools um, we use, what channels we use. Um, now we're limited to 80 characters or to a certain amount of words in, in a certain document. So I think that it's, it's more based of staying on top of the new technologies of how to send messages out into the world, um, for one. And two that back in the day you had two newspapers that probably came to your doorstep <laughs> and that was it and probably you catch the news at you know seven o'clock in the morning if you had chance and then at 10 o'clock at night um so the attention span of most of your readers and consumers um was a lot longer and you had a lot more time to craft your message and to send your message out Today, that same consumer is being bombarded 24-7. Uh, phones, tablets, radio, television, computer, laptop. Uh, we have notifications uh, that are being set on every phone depending on, on your preferences. So um, your chances of sending your message out and actually being heard um, internalized and creating a, um, an action from the consumer are very, very limited. Um, so I think that would be kind of like the first and most uh, significant evolution that we've had in PR and in marketing and communications in general today. With the fragmenting of media resulting in fragmented media consumption and our communications shifting. So as you were saying earlier, you know, maybe you used to consume the news early in the morning and late in the day, and now there's constant updates and streaming and news is being distributed and made available as it's happening sometimes so fast that the media producers or the the journalists 
are unable to articulate properly in some situations what is happening because they themselves don't have time to process it. How does this affect the way that you represent your clients, you public relations practitioners? Uh, This has to have a profound effect because, as you were saying earlier, people's span of attention is short. People are now communicating in shorter messages, and they have less time to consume media. How can people or have people adapted to these trends, would you say? I think you you hit on a very important point um, before I answer that question, which is uh, today journalists um, actually don't have time not only to craft their message properly, but uh, more significantly, and I think this is this is more critical um, to fact check. <laughs> Um, because the competition is so fierce that, you know, today it, you just want to get the news out there. Um, you can, you know, correct it later. You, 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 you know, change the news in the next 20 minutes, correction. Oh, by the way, this is not what happened. This is what actually is happening now, which, you know, in journalism back in the day, that wasn't heard of. You know, fact checking and, and verifying your sources and making sure that the news were, were exactly what was happening, um, was key. But today, it's not happening, and it's actually um, seen as as it is accepted by the consumer because our need and our demand for immediate uh, um, information, um, kind of like uh, uh, immediate gratification of information, is more important. And we have said, okay, it's okay. You can actually send me information that is not 100% accurate, but I just want it now. Um I think that's very important to mention, and it's it's critical because at what point do you you know do we want to keep sacrificing uh, uh, the validity of our information for um, fast information? At the end of the day, a well-informed society is uh, um, a high um, intelligence society. So I think it it would be very important to evaluate evaluate that now, um, not in the near future, because we cannot keep degrading that. Um, but then to go back um, to your question, um, which, by the way, it completely dawned on me. <laughs> what was the question that you just asked me? Because I got so caught up in, in the journalism factual checking that um, I completely dawned on me the, the last question you asked. Do public relations practitioners adapt to the Correct. changes that yes. are taking place? Yes. So, well, it's very simple. Um, you don't have, you know, a paragraph to tell your story. You have a sentence, um, which in a way we've had to adapt and become become more of a marketeer um, than a PR professional. We've had to adapt to to techniques and of advertising, of marketing, which means, you know, you have 12 seconds, you have 10 seconds to attract, you know, your consumer to come and buy your product. In PR, it has become, well, you actually have 10 seconds or you have sometimes even five seconds to attract your reader to be interested in your story. Um, I think it actually, it's, it's, it has been a good change because it has made uh, PR a lot more to the point, um, straightforward. Um, you cannot, you know, beat around the bush and 
try to really dig into your client's message and your client's features or priorities or selling points and say, okay, so what is it that my client has that nobody else does? Um, what is it that my client has or what is it that the consumers are looking for and um, they didn't know existed? Or what is the message that probably I know that hasn't been spoken about um, regarding a topic? And my client can actually talk about it. Um, and on top of it, then you've got to go another layer and say, okay, so how can I say this in a sentence? Or how can I say this, you know, in a three-sentence pitch? pitch? Because th- there's the other fact. You have consumers, but at the same time, your message has to go through a reporter as a PR person and an editor um, in order to make it to the consumers. So you don't only have to think about uh, um, your main customer, which is the reader, but you also have to think about the messenger. So this reporter is being bombarded just as we are, just as consumer the consumer is. But on top of it, he's being bombarded by PR professionals like ourselves, sending them pitches and messages about, you know, this is what my client has to say. So um, I usually, one of the things that young staff um, here at the agency, when they start learning to write a pitch or, or, or learning to, to, you know, how to communicate to a reporter, I always tell them, when you write a pitch, read it in your phone. Because if it's complicated for you to read your pitch, if you don't understand it or give it to a colleague, and if the colleague doesn't immediately understand your pitch while reading it in the phone, your reporter won't. He won't be interested. You have to make sure that you can read that pitch in 10 seconds while you're working down the subway in New York, because most likely that's how the reporter is going to be reading it. So it's, it's almost like we have to do this dotted line of, of messages that need to be to the point concise and valuable, because the competition is fierce. So you have to make sure that your message has value to the readers and value to the reporter. It's a challenge, but I think it's been, it's been good for the PR industry. It's interesting to hear you say that because I am still seeing a flood of people, I would say the vast majority of the people that I see out there interacting are not doing what you're describing. They are saying, if I look at my inbox here and the the number of press releases I get, in a day is usually more than I can process. Correct. And they are not concise and to the point. They Mm -hmm. don't take into account what might interest me or what is a fit. There is not the short sentence that you're describing at all. I know. (laughs) It's business as usual 20 years ago. The formatting is the same. Actually, it has it has declined in one and that is that oftentimes the press release is not in the body of the email. So I'm obligated to go to some other website that may or may not be trustworthy to look at their press release. Mm-hmm. And contact information is very often, specifically phone numbers, not included in the press releases. Why is that? <laughs> well, um, another fact that we should point into account is how much um, 
PR professionals or agencies have been disappearing in the past five years. Um, and I say this in the most respectful way, way. And the fact is, if you do not um, adapt to the times today, technology, how we communicate, what we were talking about earlier, um, taking into account you, for example, as, as our messenger, um, what are you receiving? Um, the amount of information that you're receiving, what exactly that you're complaining about. So if we don't take that into account as PR professionals, we are going to become extinct. And those that don't adapt, unfortunately, we're going to become irrelevant. So it is um, changing, but it's not changing in a way that it's industry-wide. It's only those PR professionals that actually have the capability and that progressive mind of seeing that either I jumped this wagon or I'm going to be left behind, um, the ones that are actually making the jump. Um, it's, it's, it happens every time an industry goes through kind of like a makeover or a transformation, um, and I think that's what's happening to PR. Um, a lot of folks believe that, oh, no, old-fashioned PR is not going to go anywhere, and it's just, you know, you just adapt to today, and um, instead of, you know, sending a pitch via fax, <laughs> like I remember that used to happen, um, now you just send it via email. Um, it's all said and true, but it, it's, it's, I believe it's a little bit in denial, Um because it's not only you. I mean, I've been on the other side of, of the aisle as well. I have, I've been the one receiving the pitches and receiving the stories to see if we're going to go and cover it. Um, and it is, it is uh, a daunting job to make sure that you go through all those emails or messages or voicemails back in the day. Um, but to your point, you're absolutely right. However, it's a change that is not happening as an industry overall saying, okay, we need to do this now. It's more of a, of a, uh, a PR professional level. Those that actually have the vision to understand what changes need to be made, um, they're the ones that are going to succeed and actually going to end up on top because it's, it's very smart to move that way. Those that don't, unfortunately, they will not. Gabby, you were talking about the number of PR practitioners declining. Do you have any statistics? Is there anyone that has looked at that information, the actual number of practitioners and whether or where they are and what kind of drop in numbers there might be? Um, I don't have those numbers in, in, on, in front of me, but I can definitely follow up with you after uh, we're done here and give you kind of like a more specific report because I actually did that research about a year ago. Um, but I would prefer to, you know, give you something that is a little bit more updated. Something that I can tell you as a trend, um, local agencies um, that actually deal with local businesses are the ones that usually suffer First, are the ones that are being um, that have gone down into the sunset a little quicker. Um, there's the agencies that actually have gone and um, have clients or or expanded to outside of their local market. 
um, have had uh, and do have a better chance of of um, staying afloat and actually are doing absolutely well. It's it's the complete opposite. But in terms of what or where it's um, I don't have those numbers for you. Of course, agencies that deal with trends, that deal with technology, that deal with, you know, uh, industries that are actually booming today, those are the agencies that um, uh, tend to have uh, do very well. Agencies that, you know, deal with other types of, of industries, I'm not saying they're not doing well, but they, it's, it's, you know, they actually have to do uh, um a little bit more research and a little bit more work to make sure that they stay on top of things. Uh, when you're in technology, you have no other choice because you have to stay on top of technology for your client's sakes. Only, you know, just you have to become kind of like a small expert in your client's technology. So it it, it makes, you know, it's kind of like a double, uh, um, a good double-edged sword <laughs> that you have in your hand. Um, but overall, it's, I don't think it's it's a matter of a location. Um, it's a matter of, of your, your mindset and it's a matter of your culture in terms of your PR culture internally. Let's talk about channels. There are so many channels where people can be these days. How do you as a public relations practitioner decide what to do for a particular client does your does your client tell you how do you tackle that um this goes back to what we were talking about earlier um pr adapting uh marketing and advertising um techniques digital marketing which now is not even part of marketing it's its own silo uh, uh entity for because it has grown so much um, it really all depends on your audience. Who is your audience? Each channel today has a very specific audience. Let me give you an example. LinkedIn, it's a, it's, it's a more professional um, audience than, for example, Instagram. Instagram is it's, uh, playful, youthful. Um, the, the age group is, is completely different than also what you find in LinkedIn. Um, Twitter, it's also a completely different audience, um, which probably out of all of them, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever you pick, Twitter is probably the most, uh, um, the one with the, the wider um, audience. Um, but it truly depends 100% on, um, one, who's your audience? Two, what's your message? Um, three, who's your client and, and what are they trying um, um, to say to the world? Um, and I put it in that order because you can have a client like, um, you know, a children's uh, uh, brand and you can have, you know, an artificial intelligence company. Both are, you know, sending a message via the same channel. Um, and you will say, well, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it depends what the message is. So, um, if, for example, the, the, the children's company, um, has a message that is geared towards maybe a corporate, you know, social responsibility project that they have going on, um, to help, you know, um, orphanage children, um, in the United States, and then you have your artificial intelligence uh, company that has a message that maybe it's, it's something related to uh, a community project. It makes absolute sense to have both go through the same channel. 
However, it all depends on the message and it all depends on who your audience is and what are you trying to get out of your message. Is it just are uh, you trying to give valuable information or are you trying uh, to make consumers react? Uh, and when I mean react is are you trying to, you know, donate? Are you trying to get them to buy your product? Are you trying to get them uh, alerted about, you know, an important uh, uh, situation that is happening in your community and you want them to take action? So it it is almost like you want to make sure that you send your message message out, but it's, one, assimilated properly the way that you are trying <laughs> to be assimilated, but two, what is the, the um, reaction that you're trying to achieve? So those two things combine with um, who your client is and also the timeliness of, of your message will actually allow you to decide, okay, I need to get this on Twitter or I need to get this on Twitter and LinkedIn or I need to do this, you know, in every single channel. Um, of course, budget, it always, always comes into account. But when it comes to social media, there's so many tools out there that you can actually just schedule ahead of time post and, and, and communications that it has become fairly inexpensive uh, to communicate via, uh, via social media. It's almost like you have your own voice to the world without having to go through an actual publication, um, So, which can be good and bad at the same time. Um, but it definitely helps uh, understanding your audience, and it definitely helps understanding how different audiences react and and what are they their interests and they're looking for. Which, in a way, this is what I'm saying. That's kind of like a very blurred line now between PR, marketing, and advertising, because usually that's that's where marketers do. You know, who is my audience? What are they looking for? What is their age group? Um, what are their media trends? Uh, uh, when do they actually uh, read on, you know, on the computer? Are, are they always on the phone? So those, all those uh, um, graphics and, and insights we actually take from, from digital marketing, for example, and we use it ourselves to send our messages um, because it works. They're doing the, the, the analysis. So we just, as PR professionals, we have to make sure that we use it. Um, and make it our own because it's we're not sometimes we're not trying you know to sell a product even though today most companies want to use VR to um, boost sales which it wasn't like that uh, back in the day so you kind of have to be a chameleon when it comes to that but at the end of the day it all depends on your message in addition to the dire situation that we have with media cutbacks and media deserts, which is now a thing. I had someone from the university, I think it was earlier this year, who was talking about what a problem we have in many parts of the country because there is no print media left or very little print media coverage. They have shuttered. In addition to that, I look out there and I see a lot of information on the Internet that is dated, that is old, is not being updated. The blogs that used to be, I forget what the statistic was, 50,000 new blogs a day, they have stopped or, again, the information is dated. Have you noticed these trends and how do you think 
practitioners can respond to them? What can companies, what can PR professionals do to address these issues? Actually, um, to go back to the blog, uh, I, I quickly searched and um, the hosting tribunal.com actually uh, in 2019, they actually did a, a project in terms of how many blogs, uh, you know, are out there. And they, they says that their authors account over 2 million blogs, blog posts per day in 2019. <laughs> um, so that's a very, very significant number. Who was um, that? I'm sorry. What was the source? Um, hosting Tribunal. Host Interview? Yeah. Hosting Tribunal. Hosting Tribunal. Thank you. Yes. And what is the name of the report? Um, it's how many blogs are there? We count them all. Um, it's it's a, they're they're a hosting um, organization, and they they tend to do these reports and these uh, uh, assessments in terms of of websites, um, and they did one in blogs. Um, and I guess this goes back to 2019, and it says to date there are more than 500 million blogs out of 1.7 billion websites in the world. Um, their authors account for over 2 million blogs posts per day. <laughs> Does it say how many there are in the United States? Because this is one thing that I've noticed is important to clarify. As mm -hmm. the world, as the rest of the world has had internet connectivity arrive at their location and more people have become connected through smartphones. Many of the statistics that seem to be very large, such as this one here, don't necessarily apply to the United States. In many instances, use of social media in the United States, in popular, what used to be popular social media, venues has declined as violations of privacy issues have become known. It would be, I think, most useful to know from that number what percentage is in the United States and how many of those are being kept up to date. Does it say anything about that? Well, not necessarily this, but actually, um, um, I know if, uh, uh, do, are you familiar with um, Estatista? It's actually a, um, a very um, well-known website. Um, it sure. Actually is, yeah, okay. They actually have, um, they have a report um, that they launched, um, I think it was last edited in 2016 or 2017, um, and it was about the number of bloggers in the United States uh, from 2014, and then they estimate, kind of like they gave a, a, a estimate by 2020. Um, and it was like in 2014, it showed 27.4 million bloggers in the U.S., and then they estimated back then that by 2020, there would be about 31.7 million bloggers in the U.S. alone. But again, this, this report was last updated, I believe, in 2016 or 2017. What about the social media? Are you seeing these issues that I'm raising? Have you heard about the media deserts? I found the person that I was, uh, that I had mentioned, his name is Andrew Conti, and he's the director of uh, the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. Um, it is that is actually a problem that has um, it, it's bigger than that because it's 
communications, media, journalism, um, we we see it as a problem because at the end of the day, these websites are run by XYZ Corporation or probably some guy in, you know, in his basement. Um, and eventually either the corporation ceases to exist, uh, uh, the gentleman or, or the website, you know, stops being updated. Um, but the problem is that there's one fact that we need to address and is that data cannot be destroyed. Um, and, and I know that's kind of like a, a very abstract concept, but that's the reality of it. And that's why data ownership is going to be kind of like the battle of the future. Um, who owns all these data that is floating out there? You know, even your crockpot today is collecting data, and that goes to information on your websites, emails. You know, uh, at the end of the day, once it's out there, once it, it, it leaves um, uh, the source, that data could never be destroyed. It's already disseminated. So imagine now jumping into the, the another issue that is like you can't even destroy it. Um, in some cases, you know, we are not even clear who actually owns it because it's not something that you can actually hold and put in, in your drawer, let's say, or, you know, put in a piece of paper like a contract. Um, but on top of it, who is actually going to be in charge of updating it? Um, it's, it's, it's like when you send a press release, right? And you send it over the wire, um, regardless of which wire you use, let's say a business wire, it goes out. And how many times have, you know, clients, uh, the next day within five minutes of the release going out, oh my God, we realized that we made a mistake. We need to issue a correction. Uh, we need to pull it from the wire. It's too late. It just takes 30 seconds for that release or not even a minute for that press release to be on the wire, to go out on the Internet, for that release to be picked up by thousands of websites, thousands of sources. So it doesn't matter. You can send a correction. You can pull it off the wire. But that information is already out there. You cannot change it because it has already uh, 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 been disseminated, which in the old days is it has already passed hands. It's like you handing out a pamphlet at a fair. You know, once you realize the pamphlet has a mistake, how are you going to collect all those pamphlets back? So it's kind of like the same problem. Um, it is, uh, and it has to do with the fact of that now we communicate with, uh, um, like my niece used to say, imaginary data. <laughs> um, she's like, it's like magic, you know, it's like magic, yeah. Um, and it's true. So before we can even address that issue, we have to address the issue of uh, the amount of data that we're sending out into the world that sometimes we don't even realize we're sending out into the world, and it just goes into space. And again, there's no set standards in a lot of it, who owns it or who's in charge of it. So it, I would probably go back two steps further um, because it is a problem, but it's not a problem just in our industry. Many public relations practitioners insist that clients sign off on the final version of any press release before it goes out. Do you think that's still strictly adhered to? Because as you say, once it's out, there's no pulling it back. Well, it's... Uh... You would hope it would be. <laughs> At least, you know, most of, of the PR professionals that, that um, I deal with here in the agency, I mean, that's that's strictly uh, uh, part of the process. 
you know, that you do not send anything specially over the wire um, that has not been signed off um, by, you know, the, the client um, and not just any person, you know, inside the company uh, uh, of your client. It better be the main point of contact, the main decision maker. In many cases, it's the CEO or the owner of the company that actually that has, you have to make sure that they sign off. And you have to make sure that they don't say it over the phone. You want to make sure that it's written in an email. Um, just because I, it happens sometimes. They say yes because they're busy and next thing you know, it goes out and oh my God, how can this go out like this? It had, you know, this number is not a million, it's two million. So, uh, it, it serves as a protection tool for, for, for yourself as a PR professional, but at the same time, it forces your client to focus for five minutes. It doesn't matter how busy they are, which it happens and it's often the case. Um, and they think, no, I trust, you know, I trust my, my PR contact. They know what they're doing, but sometimes it's not a matter of a grammatical error. Sometimes it is a statistics that actually can only come and be confirmed by the company itself. So I think that's uh, still the standard. Um, at least I would hope it still is. I cannot speak for, um, other PR agencies or other PR professionals, but at least, you know, the ones that I, that I, uh, I talk to on a regular basis, that's just, uh, today is actually more critical than ever. There's a lot of talk about connected televisions, connected devices, as you were mentioning the crockpot, connected vehicles, but certainly one of the things that has resulted from this connectivity has been the popularity of voice searches, not just searches, which have been around for a long time, but now there's speculation that voice searches are the new thing. What What do you think? Um, definitely. Because, um, again, we evolve with technology, right? We we communicate um, the same way in terms of our messages don't change, but definitely the channels and, and, and the tools we use to communicate definitely change. Um, yes, it has it has um, evolved just like video search, just like um, imagery search. However, I think uh, um, from the three um, um, voice search is the one that is uh, has been the evolved the the fastest. Um, it's still not there 100 percent, but it's pretty close um, because at the end of the day, um, our voice search can only be as good as voice recognition technology. Um, we, you know, we use most of our search on our phones today and, and we're talking about Siri, Alexa, you know, all these tools that we have, they're pretty much, they have evolved thanks to um, artificial intelligence. But at the end of the day, um, how much people would, would use it is how well those technologies actually can, can understand us. Um, for example, I, I love to say Siri hates me. You know, I have an accent. So sometimes Siri doesn't understand half of what I say. Sometimes she does. So for me, boy search sometimes is like, it, it depends on what I'm searching for or what, how I, I phrase my question. So, um, however, it is probably going to be by 2020, how they have estimated. There's a, there's a few, um, stats out there. Um, one of them was that by 2020, um, 50 percent of of the of the searches were actually going to be by voice, 
which, uh, you know, you can say, yes, that's, um, that's actually the case. But, you know, once you look into the actual facts, um, it's probably a little bit less. And then just to give you a little um, rundown on that, Comscore, Comscore um, is the one that actually came with that original. And actually, they didn't come with a specific number. They just actually said that, you know, voice would be um, pretty high by 2020. Um, and then actually that was it was. um the 2020 actually came in um, by Andrew um, Nig. I hope I'm not killing his last name, who was the chief scientist of Baidu. Um, he did an interview, I believe it was in 2014, for Fast Company. And he's actually the one that uh, made it a little bit more popular. And he said that in five years' time, at least 50% of the searches are going to be either uh, through images or speech. Um, and then that became very popular. That particular code became so popular. Then it, then it went by Mary uh, Meeker, who actually included it on a timeline that voice search in her Internet Trends in 2016 report that by 2020 um, does exactly what it was going to be. So did it come from facts and numbers? Yes, it did. But today, as we see it, it's probably closer to maybe 35% of, of the same sources see it today. Um, now, how is that going to impact um, us, PR, marketeers? It does, um, just like uh, SEOs that are impacting marketeers and PR professionals. You know, your messages now were not just, you know, something that you crafted and it sounded great. You needed to make sure that it had the right keywords, <laughs> Um, when it comes to voice, is going to be the exact same thing. You need to make sure that your messages are actually crafted um, with the proper keywords that voice recognition assistants actually understand. Um, like we said, if you give Alexa or Siri too much of a complex question, they don't understand that. You may be telling them to turn on the lights, and next thing you know, they put a song by Stevie Wonder on the radio because that's what they understood. So you have to, we're going to have to make sure that we start adapting the same way that we adapted to keywords, but just to the way voice recognition uh, technology understands our voice and, and is capable to understanding our messages, which today I believe it has reached 95%. Um, close to 99% they expected probably by next year. That's on Google. But let's see how that goes. That is, you speak perfect English or you're, you're or Spanish or German or whatever language you speak, and you can speak it clearly. So that definitely sets aside, you know, a whole gray area for folks that have accents or maybe they have, you know, their speech is not perfect. Um, but you have to get ready. There's no other way around it. That's where we're going. Do you have any demographics that you could share with us, Gabby, that outline who within the population is relying most on voice searches? Um, is there a particular geographic location or age or ethnicity or educational and economic level? Anything that you can tell us about that? Um there hasn't been that much. Um, I, I actually have done some research on this, and I think it all boils down to um, mobile users, believe it or not, is is that little uh, uh, cell phone. That's what um, triggers 
they use it of voice. Most of the use, like probably about 70%, I believe I read, and I'll, I'll get back to you and tell you exactly where I, um, where I got that number, um, of mobile phone users actually are starting to use voice. And of course, again, people have the HomePod and the Alexa and all these devices at their home. Um, but it comes with, it has gone up as the, as the, as the, the, the usage of mobile, um, technology has gone up. It's not a demographic. It's actually having that little machine in your hand. Do we have any information on what people are searching for? For example, I'm looking at an article quoted from another article, a more recent article, but this is dating back to 2016. So we're Mm -hmm. looking at information that's dating from 2013. And this is on something called Campaign Live .co.uk. Just say it, the future of search is voice and personal digital assistance. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they're saying, some of what you're saying, that what you ask is going to affect the results that you get and that voice searches are longer than typed searches. What can you tell us about that? Yes, actually, I, I did some research around that, and it's Yes, and this is actually from, um, it's called Quora, Quora Cre- uh, uh, Creative. Um, they have, uh, they do SEO and marketing and they have some great reports and statistics and, and they did, this is actually fairly uh, recent from December of 2019, 75 voice um, search technology statistics and trends. Um, and they actually, one of the trends is grocery shopping accounts for more than 20% of voice-based orders, uh, which I thought it was very, very, very interesting. Um, they also have another stat that says, um, by 2024, the global voice-based smart speaker market could be worth $30 billion. They also talk about money in this, in this uh, report. Um, and then 60% of smartphone users have tried voice search at least once in the past 12 months. Um, so what this tells us is that it is still fairly new. Um, so probably the fact that 20% of voice search queries are triggered by a combination of only 25 keywords. Like now, you know, put this into perspective. So, Imagine all the things that you can actually ask, but still, um, by, you know, late last year, uh, 20% of all the questions that they, that these devices were actually, uh, uh, set to answer, it was, it would, it all had to come from 25 keywords. Today, I can imagine that that's actually higher, but it's all based on how, what, best, why, when, um, do, it's, it's these basic keywords that actually would answer or trigger. So at the end of the day, it's, it's almost like it's reverse technology. Okay. We can only go as far as the technology will allow us to go. Um, but the number one keyword, just to give you an example, is how it counts from all the keywords. It counts almost 10%. So, uh, that is the main keyword that you can ask uh, when you do a voice search. So I know this, it's, it's a little, 
odd to see it this way, but I think it's important uh, when you're crafting messages as a marketing or a PR professional, what can you, what people can ask that voice will recognize to come out, to actually have your message come through, if, if that makes sense. Well, that makes me wonder, for example, there have been accusations that search engine results are skewed to favor whatever brands and products that particular search engine has a vested interest in. And so that would seem to translate immediately and perhaps even more so to voice searches because when you do text searches, you get all the results in front of you and you can decide what pages to look at. You can go straight to the third page. You can look at the first page, which is what most people do. But when you do a voice search, you only get one result. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and that has to do because voice search um, right now is mainly on your phone. And your phone, for example, if you're Siri, um, Siri is not going to give you um, products that compete with Apple. If you use Alexa, Alexa is not going to give you products that compete with Amazon. Um, so it, it can be biased um, and because of that. And until more players come into the industry, um, that's probably not going to change. And that's why still people just go to Google, Yahoo, Bing, and you do a search online because um, anything will come up. But when it comes to voice search, um, these are companies that are not just doing voice search. These are companies that actually um, uh, do other things, and they actually want you to buy their products. That's why, for example, one of the things that is important to do um, when you are market, you know, when you are marketing or in, even PR, and and you're deciding to jump into that voice search wagon, really get into it, you have to make sure that you prioritize um, optimizing your brand for your voice search. So, who are you going to choose? Um, and that's the reality of, of it today. Are you going to prioritize for um, Siri or are you going to prioritize for Alexa? Um, and that's kind of like one of the battles today. So, uh, But there's folks that actually are trying to um, comply with all of them, which makes it a lot more complicated, but that is true. Apple has moved its focus in a very radical way from producing devices to streaming as their new core mission. And Alphabet has now officially announced that Sundar Pichai is going to be or is their official CEO. These are major changes in two of the big power players in the tech industry. What, if any, effect do you think this is going to have on these public relations trends and predictions that we're talking about? Well, I think everything is is going that way. I don't I don't think it's 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 where being where we have been going for a while. Um, cable as it is, it's going to become obsolete at one point or another. Um, it's going to be like what it is not to have cable today, which is you with your little antenna trying to, um, um, you know, catch some signal. Um, I I know today half of the people that I know actually don't even have cable. Um, everything they do is through streaming. 
Um, one of the biggest uh, um, hurdles, and I remember me personally, of not jumping into streaming, even though I would have it, I would never let go of cable. And I'm old-fashioned. Um, I would never go, you know, lose cable. Um, it was the ability to have news and accounts real time. Um, that's something that streaming was not able to give you. Today, they can. Um, you have CNN Go. It's actually live streaming the news. It may not be exactly the same that you're seeing on cable, but it's actually real news today. And at the same time, you can actually stream things that happened three days ago, four days ago. Um, you can watch shows at your convenience, not just have it to record it or set it to record on cable or on DVR. Then on top of it, you have to pay extra if you want to have a DVR that records. You know, they charge you extra money for that little box just that you're going to be able to press record um, quite a bit extra a month. So as long as all these streaming um, um folks that are coming out have some sort of real-time option, um, I think cable should be probably very, very worried (laughs) Um, because that's the only thing that streaming did not have on them. The current generation that's in the job market sort of entry-level and rising despite all these demographic changes that we're seeing and boomers staying longer in the workforce and um, having the vast majority of the economic power, we are seeing one of the most diverse market segments that we have seen in the history of the United States right now. Are you seeing this reflected in these PR efforts? Are you seeing this reflected, for example, in the availability of voice searches in multiple languages? Are you seeing PR practitioners understanding and reaching out to these diverse groups with an understanding, not just, you know, what you used to do 20 or 30 years ago that was just taking a message in translating it verbatim into, say, Spanish or Portuguese or whatever? Um, absolutely. Um, and, and you have to. <laughs> There's absolutely no other choice. I mean, it comes with globalization. And globalization not only at, a, at an industrial level, at a financial level, but it's at a communications level. Um, the Internet, you know, social media has connected the world. So you better make sure that your message can be crafted and can be translated and will be translated in multiple languages. Of course, it depends on your message, but um, it has changed 100 um, percent. Sometimes when you craft in a message today, it's not just in English and Spanish. Just to give you an example, it is English and then it's Mexican Spanish, Argentinian Spanish, traditional uh, uh, um, um, what's I call it traditional Spanish. Um, because you have to account that now all these these new uh, uh, sets of audience are actually going to be able to reach your uh, message. And that is the same as in the United States. Um, you know, when it comes to diversity, the United States is going to be one of the most uh, uh, diverse societies um, that we've had internally in many, many years, just by 2024. 
Um, so if you don't take that into account as a, as a marketing professional, as a PR professional, um, you're going to have a problem because um, your messages have to be crafted not only – you can do cookie cutter. You can just go ahead and craft a message that is actually going to – hopefully is going to go to everyone. But you have to craft your message, messages sometimes, the same story. You're going to have to say it in five different ways. And you have to disseminate it in five different ways. Maybe it's not just uh, 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 the language itself. It's the lingo. It's it's um, the positioning. It's, you know, how you speak. Are you speaking in a more professional way or are you speaking in a more uh, uh, younger, uh, to a younger audience? It's the same message. So you better adapt and you better adapt quick because uh, um, you're, you're going to bottle yourself you're gonna your messages are simply going to go to dead ends which is one-way street how are you reaching media representatives today is there a particular way that you find most effective is it phone calls is it text messages is it emails is it on social media what's your go-to would you say are the top three ways of reaching media all of the above Um, and it actually depends on the reporter. Um, you have to, you have to do your research. Um, if it's, if it's a journalist that you have never spoken to before, um, do your research. Um, you know, the easiest way is go to Twitter, um, see what, you know, what they tweet about, what their demeaning, what their interests are, read their articles, you know, read about their background. Um, and based on your little assessment of what you can take from, from, from your research, you're going to find out what's the best way to reach out. Maybe send him a quick email first and then following up with a phone call. Maybe is actually sending them a message on Twitter. Um, I've come across, and you're going to laugh, I came across a couple of years ago a reporter uh, that actually – he only wanted you to pitch him on Snapchat, and this is not a joke, and he's a top-tier reporter, um, and he actually wanted you to Snapchat your pitch, and that's the only way he would listen to you. Um, so it really depends on on the journalist itself, um, and you have to make sure that when you talk to them or how you reach out to them, you reach out to them at their level. Um, and in a manner that it's going to resonate with them and also make sure that they know that you have done your homework, um, that you have read about your back, their background, that you have read their articles, that you know what they're about and what their interests are about. Um, cause at the end of the day is not a one way street. It's not like here. You're not a tele, you're not a telemarketer. Okay. You're not a salesperson. You are a messenger and you have to make sure that the information that you're providing is 100% valuable to this to this reporter, which in turn is to this reporter's readers. Um, so it's more about building a relationship um, than actually just sending an email. And one way that I put this, uh, I explain it to my clients and they laugh, but it's actually true. It's, it's, it's like dating. Um, you cannot just go ahead and say, hey, can, you know, go out to dinner with me. You see a cute girl in a bar and you just go and say, come and have dinner with me. What are the chances she's going to say yes? So 
it's it's you have to make sure that you establish a relationship and you build that trust before you actually can ask them out is the best analogy I can give. Well, it's great that you talk about trust there because that is a good springboard for my next question, (laughs) which is transparency. There's a lot of concern in the public space about fake media or the perception of fake media. What can you tell us about transparency in particular in relation to public relations practitioners? Um, that is key. It's, it's as important as transparency um, when you're a journalist. Because, um, again, you are responsible for disseminating information to the world. Um, you better make sure that that information, number one, is factual, um, that is coming from, from uh, uh, factual sources. Um, but not only that, that is unbiased. Um, I think that comes to, it's not a matter of what to do or what not to do. It's just a matter of ethics, a hundred percent ethics. And there's no rules. Unfortunately, there are no rules. You know, neither reporters or PR professionals or even, you know, companies. It depends. Companies, it depends. Let's, let's, let me go back. Okay. It depends how big your lie is, but. There's actually no real reprimand, you know, you don't get any reprimanding for lying, which I think it's unheard of. I think it's, it's insane, you know, because back in the day, uh, uh, journalism in general was, it had a code of honor. Um, and, and you were only as good as your ethics. And that's the reality of it. Cause you could have amazing reports. And you can, you know, be in the best spots at the best time, the latest news, breaking news, or even as a PR professional, you could have the hottest clients, you could have the hottest news under your skirt. But at the end of the day, if you were not an ethical professional, that would be the end of your career. Today, unfortunately, that is not the case. Um, so I think that those professionals that actually still believe in that part of the professional, in that part of being ethical, is will define what type of communicator I'm going to be. Um, it's probably are those the ones that are setting the standards. Um, however, thanks to the internet and pretty much journalism in a digital age, anyone today can be a journalist or even a PR professional. You have a blog in two seconds. All you need to do is sign up to GoDaddy and within 20 minutes you have a blog. Boom, I'm a journalist. Um, So it is a matter of being able to get past that, being able to uh, sift through all the noise and the junk and, you know, the the non-factual and I don't even want to call it fake news because it's not even fake news. It's just unethical behavior. Uh, uh, in journalism, um, and just keep following through your own um, project, your own uh, 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 goals. Um, if you let yourself be guided by that or or deter by that, then they win. <laughs> and I think that's part of you know one of the missions uh, uh, that we got to keep going at. It is just at the end of the day, we're communicators, and our job is to make sure that. 
the information that we send out there is valuable, is truthful, is factual, and is exactly what people need to hear. Um, we all going to tell the story different ways. Absolutely. And that's always been the case. Okay. If you're, you know, if, if, if your news organization is a little bit more techy, then you will tell the story from a technological standpoint. If your news organization was a little bit more lifestyle, then you told the same story from a lifestyle perspective. And that was it. Today, it is black and white, you know, blue and yellow. It's, it's, you would think that you know, in one in one side of the story, the elevator shut down, and in the other side of the story, the elevator is working perfectly. Um, so, as the consumer, I can tell you, um, it is tough. And as PR professionals and journal and journalists in general, and especially marketing professionals, it's even harder today. So, more than ever, we definitely have to make sure that we do our part and we stick to our guns when it comes to ethics, because we have to trust each other. The consumer needs to trust each other, trust uh, the journalist. The journalist needs to trust the PR professional and the PR professional needs to trust the client. And it's a, it's a circle. It needs to go uh, uh, both ways. If not, then um, we're going to have a big, big problem. There also seems to be an uptick. I don't know how representative it is of the general market of messages that are crafted in a sneaky way. Someone who isn't being upfront about who their client is, someone who seems to have a hidden agenda, for example, in press releases or in interactions, more than I remember seeing in the past. Do you think that that is part of this new what shall we call it, dubious ethics that seem to be spreading? Uh, do you think those are just uh, rarities? Um, I still think they're rarities. I mean, it does happen. Let's be clear, it does happen. Um, but I, I, um, I'm a firm believer that most professionals, PR and, and journalist professionals today, um, they follow the rule of ethics. Um, it's just that Usually the wrong uh, comes out and is what makes the most noise. I'm going to give you a quick example, um, and this comes from my other life. <laughs> um, the intelligence community, for example. Um, the, the work they do, it's, it's unheard of. It's incredible. It's 24-7. And you go about your day and you sleep at night and you wake up in the morning and you go about your job and you will never know what this amazing men and women are actually doing in the United States and around the world to make sure that you go to bed and you wake up in the morning without a worry in the world. However, it takes one mistake from all the successes that they have throughout the day that the public never hear about, hears about, because that's something that rarely happens. Or everything that it's deterred, everything that it's caught, everything that is stopped, and the reason why you don't want people to know about it is because you want them to go about their lives. <laughs> you want them to just have a happy life and don't worry about it. You want, you know, society to keep rolling. But it takes one mistake of one intelligence agency to actually missing the boat to making a mistake. And it's in the news for five months. And it's all about, you know, how the problems and how the, the agency is not working is the same with everything else. It takes one mistake. 
um, or one bad apple to actually, you know, take all the good that all the folks are doing in journalism and even in the police force, for crying out loud, um, to take everything down and make everything look bad. I think we have to focus more on the other side of the coin as a society uh, and as professionals and stop really censor censoring every time a bad apple or something or somebody does something wrong. Um, because it would, it definitely is, it, it doesn't bring anything good. Um, most of, of, of all journal, journalists and PR professionals and marketers and advertisers are doing it for the right reasons and they're doing a great job. So my take in it is let's focus on that and on those folks and just let's try to stop giving publicity and propaganda and a microphone to those, those that are not doing it right. What do you think is coming ahead in the next three years, for example, in terms of technology or in terms of trends or channels? I think the first thing is um, be ready to to um, there's there's a short phrase that I said is faster answers, faster actions. Um, and that's exactly where we're going. Technology is going to evolve, okay? Everything that we're doing today is going to get faster. Messages are going to get quicker. Um, it's not going to get slower. So um, you're going to be able to search. You're going to be able to talk. You're going to be able to read. You're going to be able to get information faster and in more ways that you can imagine today. So um, all we can do I not I cannot tell you by when by 2020 by 27 you know 2027 I'm not even going to go there because at the end of the day it depends in technology it depends in society it depends on you know next thing you know government regulations that can come next year that nobody uh, uh, could foresee at the end of the day all you can do is focus on making a faster and 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 reactive message. Re, as a communications professional, that's all you can do. Um, now, stay up with the trends. You know, social media is not going anywhere. Um, now, can social media actually replace uh, public relations? Can social media replace editorial? No. Um, I honestly been doing this for close to 20 years, and I doubt that will ever happen. Um, now, Editorial, what you were saying before, like newspapers don't exist anymore. <laughs> like printed paper really doesn't exist anymore. And there's a reason for it. First of all, it costs money. Paper, ink, and, you know, overhead to, to produce that. And people do not just grab the paper in front of their house or in a kiosk every morning anymore. Why? Because they have their phones. I can read it in my phone. So why do I have to spend money on a newspaper or be carrying a newspaper? So, but at this, but at the end of the day, it's they still want the information. They're still going to want to read the article. They're still going to want to read the news. And that uh, 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 trend of reading 80 characters or 120 characters or whatever is going to change, 300, 500 in, in the future, um, yes, that is for instant gratification. That's like, I'm on the run. I want to get some information now. But... Uh, being an informed society, being an informed individual, that's not going to change. So eventually you're going to want to have a link in there that you're going to click when you have time throughout the day to actually read the whole article. That's what I do. 
So um, the channels will be there. Um, I think the only thing that is going to change is the speed and how we, you know, how we communicate in the sense of how much space do I have to send that headline out so I can send somebody to my website or I can send somebody to that article uh, uh, in that publication um, to read the whole story. But at, at the end of the day, I don't think uh, um, the 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 need for society to get information and get well uh, thought out information in a in a form of an article that's never going to change. Gabby, thank you for joining us from Santa Ana, California. Thank you so much so much for having me today. It was it was it was a lot of fun. And to our audience. You have been listening to Gabi Lechin, who is Senior Vice President at Global Results Communications, who discussed public relations trends and predictions. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you could email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.